Morning, everyone. Morning. Everybody doing good? Yes. We'll see how you're doing in 40 minutes. <laughs> uh, I got Sabbath. It's our fourth week, and uh, we're diving into the Ten Commandments. The thing I've appreciated most, uh, this is my favorite thing, honestly, to do as a pastor. Uh, so many times the Bible and the things it has to say can be viewed as archaic, out of date, and probably good things for us to remember, but maybe to tweak a whole lot before we apply them to our lives. What I love is when you take something like the Ten Commandments. I mean, culturally speaking, is there anything that the world looks at and says, uh, is there anything more outdated? And so as we've continued week in and week out to look at the Ten Commandments and to go, oh, God was right. It's so good for me. It is just so encouraging. And so today, I've got Sabbath. So many times when we preach, you know, you're basically standing up here and saying, I want you to understand God was right and we have a need for whatever it is you're preaching on. A couple people have said, you know, including some of our pastors have said, well, Sabbath, it seems really hard. Based on what I just told you, I ain't gonna have any trouble convincing an American culture we need rest, all right? So to dive into this, uh, there's a story that I wanna tell because I think it makes the perfect point of where we're going today. Uh, and it's bounced around for years, but it's of a rich industrialist who was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. Why aren't you out there fishing, he asked. Because I've caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Well, why don't you catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. What would I do with them? Well, you could earn more money, came the impatient reply, and buy a better boat so you could go deeper and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish, and make more money. Soon you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. The fisherman asked, well, then what would I do? He said, you could sit down and enjoy your life, said the industrialist. What do you think I'm doing now? The fisherman said, <laughs> as he looked placidly out to sea. You see, if we're gonna talk about rest, we've gotta talk about what's fighting against it, work. To be honest, the Bible makes the best case of anything I've ever read about work-life balance, that we have to have both. We can't just go one way or the other. Balance is not an easy topic for me. I'll just give you guys this. When you land in AA at 27, it's not because you balance well, all right? <laughs> so I'm not great at this. I have to work really hard to find balance in anything. And so when we're gonna look at this today, what we have to realize is our culture is not necessarily sitting down and helping us find our way to this naturally or organically. Our life rhythms are all messed up. We are running at 100 miles an hour, and so what I've done is I have taken biblical sources, I've taken different books of the Bible, I've taken extra biblical sources, authors, commentators, and pulled together, mined all of them to find the nuggets that I'm gonna pass off today. So I have a bunch of really powerful quotes and scriptural references that are intend to do, intended to do two things, and they are this, to show us how bad we are in need of Sabbath and how to get it. Remembering the Sabbath is the command. We'll read it here in its entirety in just a second. And it is God's command to rest each week is a command to his people. If we were to state this commandment in the inverse, it could read, do not forget the Sabbath. And it's listed in close company with other do nots, like have idols, lie, commit adultery, and murder. As God's people, why are we so committed to never doing some of these other things, but we are happy to view this commandment as optional? Let me pray for us. 
Lord, as we come into this today, there's a recognition. All of us are already feeling it. There's maybe even some nerves of like, shoot, where's this thing gonna go? And so as we sit back today, we give our hearts to you. We ask that you would just give us a sense of where you're leading us. Every one of us is in a different place, and yet we're all facing the same command, to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy, to keep it set apart, something that is given to you. And yet, even as I think about that in my own life, it is so challenging to try and remember that this is something you've commanded, something you've said is good, and it is good for me. So Lord, as we all dive into this material today, pray that you would speak through me, get me completely out of the way, and that it would be you who would speak to the hearts in this room and the other rooms listening. We pray this in your name, amen. All right, so let's read it. Exodus 20, verses eight through 11. They say this, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Like I said, if we're gonna talk about rest, we have to talk about the work practices that we all keep that are interrupting them. Some of us sit back and say, hey, God made us to work. Others sit back and say, hey, no, we should be resting all the time. I'd like to make a case that again, God has made us to enjoy both. Genesis 2.15 says this, very beginning of the story, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. God is pro-work. He is for us to go out, to work and to keep things, to flourish, to make things go. He created, we subcreate. We continue to work within the creation, to work and to keep. And yet at the same time, what we just read, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy is still in play. God is asking us to not max out on one or the other, but to have both and he even tells us what it should look like. It should look like a day. So we were made by God to need both work and rest, and I need to define something. I need to define work. Because you may be retired right now and you're going, well, this ain't for me. Stick around, let's define this. By work, I do not mean a nine to five job at a desk. What I mean, because here's the thing, that could get super easy, but let, guess what? What we're talking to right now is we're talking to everything. Everything that you're doing. I wanna define work this way. It may not be a perfect definition. It's what I came up with this week. I mean actively pursuing the activities during your day that God has called you to. Let me read it again. By work, what I mean for the rest of this sermon is I mean actively pursuing the activities during your day that God has called you to. That means whether you are running a company or a household, you are working. That means whether you're retired and you're serving or whether you're pursuing an education. Whatever God's called you to do. I don't think one is greater than the other. I don't think I, whether you're in ministry or whether you're a Fortune 50 CEO, I mean work to mean if that's what God's called you to do, then that's what I mean by work. I've had days where I've had to stay home and spend the day keeping the house with the kids. Anybody who looks at you and says that ain't work is lying to you. It is hard. So we are gonna sit down and talk because when we, when we talk about Sabbath, when we talk about finding rest from the things that God has called us to do, it's tricky, it's different for everybody, okay? 
So here is what is defined as Sabbath, okay? Kevin DeYoung has a great description. He's one of the commentators I spent some time in this week. He said, Sabbath is the Hebrew word for ceasing. It is the ceasing day, the stopping day. In an agrarian society, resting meant sit down. Don't worry about the fields. What are your fields? To define work is to look at what is it that you're doing? What is it that God has called you to? And you need to rest from that. So I'll give you an example. For me, a lot of you may, when I get done with this sermon, go, okay, Sundays, that's gonna be our Sabbath day. We're gonna slow down on Sundays. We're gonna get more intentional. We're gonna recognize just going to church doesn't mean we had a Sabbath, but to actually find some time where we slow down. Well, what about me? I'm gonna tell you, today is not a rest day for me, okay? As much as you guys might sit down and think, he just gets up there and talks for 30 minutes. This is actually quite hard to do, okay? <laughs> Let's just stick together on that. This is, not, this is a high output day for me. It's actually my Monday. Every week, Sunday is my Monday. And the days that I have off are, th are Friday and Saturday. And so I work pretty hard on my Fridays to try and find Sabbath time. This is an area where I've had to make great strides in my life. And we'll define it in just at, towards the end where we actually look at what does the day look like. But I take time to spend some time shutting it all down, a ceasing from the things that God has called me to do and a time where him and I sort of reconnect and I slow myself down and I get back to a place where I'm actually kind of resting. Doesn't mean I'm sitting around doing nothing, I'm not in a meditative state in a closet, that's not what it looks like for me, but I am finding rest and we're gonna spend the rest of our time today talking about what does it look like, how bad do we need it, how do we get it? Let's ask the question, because some of you are sitting back right now, and I know your heads are already like, I'm resting a ton. I sleep three hours a night. I'm totally fine. I'll sleep when I'm dead. It's like, okay, great. Our culture is in a really bad place. It's not giving us rest. It is not pointing us towards rest. In fact, it is rewarding a burnout pace of us doing everything. And so as modern people, we can do a lot of times, we can sit back and go, well, we're really the first ones that have ever been busy. We're the first ones that have ever run at a crazy pace. I'm gonna submit to you that's not true. As a matter of fact, I went back a ways and was kind of looking at where can we source some of this problem back to. Uh, I was pretty surprised to find this. The book of Amos. You didn't think I'd go back that far, did you? You thought I'd make it to like the pilgrims or something. This is Amos. Thousands and thousands of years ago, this is what God's people were saying to the prophet. He's quoting them. And he's saying in 8.5, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale? What are they saying? We don't have time to Sabbath. We're building an empire over here, bro. I got stuff to do. We gotta sell wheat. We gotta get back to the grain markets. I am trying to amass a fortune here. I can't be sitting down and messing around with a whole bunch of rest that the Lord has called me to. Here's what I want you to see. This is an ancient problem. This is a modern problem. This is a human problem. It is within us as a species to overreach, to overreach and to overreach then some more because we always wanna find the boundary and we wanna push it. And God in his goodness has said, stop, cease, slow. You will not make it at that pace and we're not the first generation to do it. Technology has continued to push the pace. And one of the funny things about technology is usually as human beings, we are so busy trying to create what's next 
We don't ever really look at the responsibility within it. I'll give you two examples. The very first clock, like clock tower, was erected in Germany in 1370. Man now had an artificial time. Prior to a clock that sat literally in the middle of the town, what people did was, oh, the sun's up. We should get going. Well, I don't know, it's kind of the you know, middle of the day. We should, you know, be middle of our workday. But it's starting to go down, we're running out of time. There was this organic flow, it was seasonal, it was different every day. But now all of a sudden a clock showed up and it was like, oh shoot, it's not just morning, like now it's almost, the morning's almost over. We're into the after morning, we're like noon. Now we got, there was this thing that was now pushing mankind along as this artificial keeper of time. It was a master of time. Thomas Edison did us a whole bunch of favors when he invented the light bulb. Now you could work all the way through the night. Guys, prior to that, do you know what you did when the sun went down? You went to sleep. Because unless you wanted to burn through a quart of wood or every candle in the house, it was dark. It was a challenge. You could not just stand there or sit there and just deal with light. Uh, these are funny realities. Winter days were longer or summer days were longer, winter days were shorter. You had to actually kind of deal with those things and the average person slept 11 hours a night prior to the light bulb. Well, Rustin, that's just being lazy. Okay. John Mark Comer is one of my favorite writers on this topic and, and so many people, you wanna know this is a human problem. Just look at what people are doing in books that they're buying. Books on rest, books on burnout are flying off the shelves because people are trying to figure out how to get around it. They just didn't know the best book on it had been written thousands and thousands of years ago. Comer says this, I used to read biographies of great men and women from history who got up to pray at four o'clock in the morning. St. Teresa, John Wesley, Charles Spurgeon. I would think, wow, they are so much more serious about Jesus than I am. Yeah, true, but I realized that they went to bed at seven o'clock after nine hours of sleep, what else there's there to do? <laughs> there's a, just a reality that with technology comes responsibility. John Eldridge has written some really great stuff on this topic. He's uh, created a couple of resources I'll recommend later in this sermon. But Eldridge talks about this phenomenon of email. When email first came out, people were blown away. Its predecessors were the phone call and the written letter. A phone call was Unbelievable, when the phone came to be a thing, people were like, this is great. But when email showed up, they realized, you know, phone actually takes a long time. Hey, how you doing, Tom? Rustin here. Hey, good to hear from you. How you doing? Where'd you go for lunch? You and the family got any plans for fall break? You doing well? You guys traveling for the holidays? Hey, listen, uh, I wanted to call and check in. Where are we at on those TPS reports? Is that like a this week thing, a next week thing? What do you... Okay, you bet, buddy, we'll talk to you soon. All this wasted time with relationship. <laughs> Not time for that. Email comes along. Tom, comma, TPS reports, this week or next? Question mark, best regards, Rustin Rossello. <laughs> cut through all the pleasantries, so just get down to business. We've skipped relationship. We don't go as deep with people. We have no idea what's going on around us. What uh, Eldritch describes is this, when email first came out, everybody thought it was so fast we were gonna save all this time. He goes on to describe recently releasing a book and sending a text message, an even less formal, even quicker form of communication to friends and family. 
He was somewhat caught off guard when his responses were thumbs up or hearts. His response to that was this. When did typing a few quick sentences on your phone become so laborious that a one-touch response was the socially accepted way to communicate with others? Our society keeps moving faster and faster and faster. It is speeding up and it shows no signs of slowing down. In his book, The Burnout Society, Byung Chul, who's a philosopher, makes this observation of Western culture. They're too alive to die and they're too dead to live. Everything I'm gonna share with you guys today, I did for our staff in a, what we do is a one month, uh, once a month staff lunch. Jamie was out of pocket and so Scott and I, as we talked, Scott's our executive pastor, he just said, hey, would you be willing to walk through some of your Sabbath material for the staff? I focused a little bit because all of us are in ministry as a staff, I said, listen guys, we're not excused from burnout. I want each and every one of us to remember that we're working for the kingdom, not in the kingdom. It is still, even in our jobs, super easy to get sidetracked, to work at a crazy pace, and to not observe the very principles that we're trying to help other people instill in their lives. We can burn out just as easily. Again, John Mark Comer has a great quote on this. Wildly successful pastor in Portland, church of thousands of people, it hits me like a freight train. In America, you can be a success as a pastor and a failure as an apprentice of Jesus. You can gain a church and lose your soul. That's my heart check each and every week. I don't think someday if I get to heaven and have done a bunch of incredibly fruitful ministry here on earth, but I've lost my connection with my Lord and Savior that the Lord will sit back and say, oh, don't worry about that. I think that was the point, that you and I do this together, that you and I are drawn closely into intimate relationship and what's powering your ministry is this close relationship with me, not your human desire to make something good happen. That's what I gotta check my heart with each and every week. So what does the Bible have to say about it? What does the Bible have to say about our work-rest balance? I went back to the creation story. Just start in the beginning. It's always a great place to start. God created the earth, and three things stuck out to me in this account. Five times during the creation account, God, the God of the universe, the all-powerful, super-secure God of the universe, stops and says, that's good. That's good. That's good, that's good, that's good. Five times during the creation account, God, not out of insecurity because he needed a pat on the back, but out of declaration declares that what he is doing is good. He says, that's good. At the end of every creation period, at the end of every day, there was a beginning and there was an end. It stops. The scripture takes time after every creation period to say, and there was morning and there was night. And there was morning and there was night. And there was morning seven times. It does that. It's as if God was pausing. There was a beginning and an end, and God pauses to sort of go, that's enough for now. He puts creation down until the next day. He stops to declare that it was good, and then he stops to say, that's enough for now. That's good. That's enough for now. Interestingly, if you look at the ways that we kind of demark time, days, weeks, months, years, think about this. I thought this, these are not my thoughts. People smarter than me wrote this in a book, okay? I thought it was great. If you think about a day, it is scientifically observable that a day is one rotation of the earth around its axis. The month, it is absolutely trackable to the lunar calendar. We've done that for centuries. And a year, one trip of the earth around the sun. Where do we get the week? 
There's no scientific thing. One of the commentators said, there's no scientific pull for the week. There's nothing driving it. You know, we sit back and we just go like, yeah, yeah, day, month, year, God, we can track them all, they're right there. This is what one of the commentators said, and I loved it. The week is what it is because God made it that way. Every time we go through the cycle of a week, we are embodying the Sabbath practice, the Sabbath principle introduced into the world by God himself. You see, at the end of six days, God stopped. He stopped at the end of six days. Anybody ever sit down and go, why? Do we really think that the God of the universe needed a self-care day? Like he's sitting there and he's like, gosh, I mean, moon, stars. I've been creating people, this is a lot. I really, I need a bath. <laughs> or an Enya CD, I need something. This has really gotten, it's gotten out of hand. No. Absolutely not. What the God of the universe was doing, and I loved how this was worded this week in my study, the Sabbath was God's time to revel in his creation. It was his time to stop and not just say what I did was good, but be in the goodness. The story of God has always been the same from beginning to end. He is our God and he will be with us as our God. We are his people, he is our God, and he will be with us as our God. It is all the way back to the beginning of the story and it's the same thing echoed in Revelation. I say that all the time because it's great biblical theology. That's the story. You know what the Sabbath is? It's time to practice the story. It's time to stop. Spoiler alert. What God did on the very first Sabbath is what we are to do every Sabbath. It is our time to revel with our creator as the creation. It's our time to be with God in relationship. It is our time to be with the one who is best for our souls. To take time and to be with the one who loves us most. In Exodus, the very passage we're studying today, it says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And we know that this was not only important to Israel, but that it was practiced. When God provides manna while they're wandering in the desert, he provides it, they pick it up. Human beings, we have been broken in all the same ways for as long as you can imagine. Human beings did not wanna rely on God. So the Israelites, even though they were told, pick up only enough for today, I'll provide for you again tomorrow. What ends up happening? We'll just take two days. I don't like relying on God. I'm sure none of us have ever done that, but it's what the Israelites did. It rotted, it stank, it went bad. Just in a day. So what God does is, on the sixth day, because Sabbath is important, he provides enough for two days and it doesn't rot. He has continuously provided for the Sabbath, and from that principle, what I want us all to know is, he'll provide for yours as well. But you're gonna have to work a little bit if you wanna rest. This will not happen just out of nowhere, and we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. If you go all the way to the New Testament, what we see around Sabbath is we tracked our way from the beginning to Exodus, now let's go to the New Testament. The book of Mark, the Pharisees, I mean, if you talk about a group of people who had just so savagely screwed up what the Sabbath was supposed to be, there were so many restrictions, there were so many places where this was messed up. What we see in Mark 2 is where Jesus is now walking around and what the Pharisees constantly did, they were like the paparazzi, they were just following Jesus around trying to catch him doing something wrong. Okay? which is effectively what the paparazzi do with any celebrity. So they're sitting there and they're trying to catch him doing something unlawful on the Sabbath. Him and his disciples are walking along in Mark 2. They're walking by a grain field. The disciples are hungry. They pluck heads of grain and they start doing this in their hands. As they're doing this, 
Basically, what happens is the Pharisees step in and they say, that's not lawful. Here's what they mean. They had brought so much minutia and so much insanity into the practice of Sabbath that it was just almost impossible to figure out what you could do other than sit in a chair and do nothing, okay? They weren't the last ones to do this. In New England, in the time of the pilgrims, there was a 39-page small print Sabbath laws document that people needed to know in order to be able to observe the Sabbath. John Owen, a great spiritual leader at the time, said this, a man can scarcely in six days read over all of the duties that are proposed to be observed on the seventh. This started with the Pharisees and we just continued it into modern age. As the Pharisees get to this point with Jesus, they look over and they accuse his disciples of, hey, basically, what are you gonna do, bro? What are you gonna do with this? And they were comparing what Jesus' disciples were doing here in rubbing grain out of the heads to what was going on on the threshing floor an incredibly laborious activity where a giant stone was rolled around over grain to completely move the grain out of its heads. It is a ridiculous accusation, and yet they're making it to Jesus' disciples. Mark 2, 27 and 28 says this, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus also says in Matthew, one that is greater than the temple had come. It was him. You see, Jesus takes what the, the Pharisees the, and, and God's people had done for so long and he returns it back in the direction where it's supposed to be. He transforms what had become a practice of doing and he turns it back into a practice of being. He says, I did not do this so that you guys could serve the Sabbath. I gave the Sabbath to you because you need it. You are in desperate need of stopping you have to slow down. If you don't, the creation will take you over. Here's a question. Why do we do this? Talk about scientifically observable. I could point to medical report after medical report that will show us that human beings working at the pace that we're working is killing us. And we keep doing it anyway. I'll tell you why I think we do it. We get lost in the pursuit of it all. We just keep cranking I think Sabbath is our time where we take our eyes off of what it is that we're doing and we redraw them back to the Lord. And if you haven't had a Sabbath in a week, that's not the end of the world, you can kind of recenter your eyes. But if we haven't had Sabbath ever, we are awash, absolutely lost, being thrown about as rudderless ships in a sea of busyness and accomplishment. We're not being steered, we're not being directed, and we're never taking our eyes off of the things that we're doing because what I submit to so many people is that we're trying to find infinite things in a finite world. People come to my office all the time. I always joke, people don't show up in my office because things are going well. Nobody ever shows up and goes, just wanted to get to know you. That's not a thing. People show up in my office because they have a problem. So it's like nobody walks in on a winning streak. Otherwise they're like, bro, I don't need to, I got friends, I don't need to hang out with you. When people show up, we start talking about the problem and eventually I'll ask a little bit of a showstopper question. Why do you do that? We just don't think about that. When we're doing something that isn't working, we tend not to go, why am I doing this? And so when I ask that question, there's a little bit of a frozen moment and eventually I'll kind of submit, if this is the challenge and they're not getting rest, I'll just say, I think you're looking for your VIP in the world instead of in the Lord. What do you mean by that? I mean your value, your identity, and your purpose. 
I think your value, your identity, and your purpose, uh, we can leave sometimes, and instead of moving from a relationship with the Lord, where our value, our identity, and our purpose are actually found, we go out into the world looking for those things, leaving the very place that could give them to us behind. We're out there and we're, we're having value because of what we're doing, whether it's running a company or running a household. Moms, you're not off the hook, right? You may go, oh, I don't know. No, you're not. If we find our value in what we're doing, whether it's running a company or running a household, our identity, company or household, purpose, company, household, education, whatever your thing is, it can start to eat us alive. Sabbath is our time where we take our value, our identity, and our purpose back from our work, no matter how great or how fruitful it is, and we give it back to the Lord. It's the time where we sit back and say, these activities aren't gonna give me value, they're not gonna give me identity, they're not gonna give me purpose. The pursuit becomes our master, and we never meant for this to happen. Work becomes this. If you haven't had a Sabbath in a while, here's what happens. It's carbon monoxide. You're dying and you don't even know it. The Sabbath is your monoxide indicator that goes, rant, 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 rant. you got a problem here. And you're slowly but surely starting to die because you have not slowed down. We don't have work days. We don't even have work weeks. We never set it down. We're answering emails all around the clock. We sit back and we talk about what's going on and how it's absolutely killing us. You wanna know why it's hard for us to vacation? Because our attitudes become so oriented towards I have value because of what I do. My identity is as a doer. My purpose is to do more. We go on vacation and all of a sudden you stand over here. Anybody ever made the awesome statement? I make it all the time. Ah, oh, it took me three or four days to finally slow down. Do you know why? Because for that 72 hour period where we're slowly terrified because we're not working, we can't be away from our phones. Anybody ever have that little thing going on? Where's my phone? <laughs> And then we make fun of our kids because they're on like TikTok or whatever and we're just like, oh, where's my email? We're doing the same thing. Our value is in doing instead of in a relationship with the God of the universe. Our identity is as a doer, not as a child of God, right? Our purpose, instead of serving the Lord, it gets caught up in whatever earthly activity we have. We actually go on vacation and we lose who we are because who we are is no longer seated in the things that matter most, the things that are found in a Sabbath. We go on vacation and we lose everything. Here's a really great quote from J.I. Packer. It's talking about this reality of why mastering our time is so incredibly important. This is what's up. This is what we're up against. He said, Satan wants us to see every minute misused. It is for us to make every minute count for God. How? Not by a frenzied rushing to pack a quart of activity into a pint pot of time, a common uh, present day error, but by an ordered lifestyle in which within the set rhythm of toil and rest, work and worship, due time is allotted to sleep, family, wage earning, homemaking, prayer, recreation, and so on, so that we master time instead of being mastered by it. All of us got these great little bookmarks, right? If you've got one in your Bible right now and you look towards this week, it says keep the Sabbath holy, your sub little topic there. Master your time. Guys, every single thing that God gives us on earth is a gift. If you don't master your gifts, they'll master you. Your time, okay, your wealth, your kids, 
We have to be attentive to make sure that we're giving our gifts back to the Lord. If you don't master them and they master you, you can't give it back to the Lord because you, you lose something. It becomes part of your identity, your value, your purpose. Here's the deal. We are to be mastered by God and God alone. Any other thing on earth that masters us is a terrible master. It will make a slave out of you. When we look at our lives, we sit back and we're like, no, I'm just super busy. We are a slave to whatever we're doing. The only master that I've ever heard of, ever researched, ever read is a good master, is the God of the Bible. He's the only master that once he has mastered your life, he sets you free for freedom's sake. That's what he does. Everything else will continue to suck the life out of you because it's not a good master. Okay, so if we're gonna get rest, if we're gonna try and find Sabbath, if we're gonna master our time, what does it look like? Well, let's define it, okay? Let's, let's get a starting place where we can start to work from some construct of what a Sabbath really looks like. Because some of us have a super legalistic view of Sabbath that's like, well, it's church and then it's sitting in a meditative state. Don't be pharisaical about it. Don't be legalistic, don't be religious. At the same time, others of us, in an effort to have too few rules, have just said it's probably kind of an older thing. It was for, I don't know, the Israelites. It's not for us. Neither's true, all right? Matthew Henry says this, freedom from secular chores secures freedom to serve the Lord on his own day. The Sabbath was made a day of holy rest so that it might be a day of holy work. Physical recreation and family fun will not be excluded, but worship and Christian fellowship will come first. You see, it's not nothing. It's not don't do anything. Like I said, part of my Sabbath is sometimes I'll, I'll go play golf. That's restful for me. It's not a lack of physical activity. There's days where I work out just because it's like, Huh, it's like a physical activity that doesn't get attached to my purpose, my calling, my daily activities. It's a day where sometimes me and my wife will go have a date day because the kids are in school and she can maybe slip away from work for an hour. We have a lunch. Christian fellowship, it's works of necessity and mercy. It's a place where God calls us to be with him. I actually get to do that a lot of my Fridays. I'm quick to tell you guys when I'm terrible at something. I, this has actually been a place where I've worked real hard to find headway. Looks different for everybody, but we need it. I, I went to school at Phoenix Seminary. That's where I did all of my master's work. And uh, over there, all of us remember uh, Daryl Delhuse. He's our pastor emeritus. He was our senior pastor here for 25 years. He's done an incredible amount for this church in leading and loving all of us. Him and I share a wall now. And so uh, he works on the other side of the wall that I have here in the office. And uh, I got to take uh, classes from his son, John. John is an extremely quiet, reserved, thoughtful man. It's, it's kind of incredible. Um, his dad would, would enjoy this joke quite a bit because I've teased him with it before. Uh, he's nothing like his father in that way. Daryl is not quiet. Uh, he's one of the few people who if we go to lunch, uh, he talks more than I do, which is an incredible feat. And so... Um, when I take classes from John, it was really, really sweet because John and I, I would sit there and I'd listen to him. And at one point as he was talking, John told me, because I took my gospels class from him, what Sabbath looked like for his family. And it brought me to tears. John said, during the week, we actually eat a super meager diet. It's just beans, rice, vegetables, kind of just a you know, survival diet. It's just the essentials. But on Sunday, on Sunday, we buy the best meat that we can afford. And we'll prepare it all day with intention. 
The family takes time to, to read, to rest, to listen to great music, to have meaningful conversations with each other. Everything ceases. And then when the meal is completely prepared, we set the table, it's beautiful. We put the meat right in the center of the table, we bring all of the rest of the meal together. Me and my wife will pour kind of a small, savorable amount of wine to sip on throughout the meal. And we just enjoy it as a sign of how thankful, thankful we are for everything that God has given us. You know what struck me? I had never even thought of making the rest of my week look lesser so that my day of holy rest might look greater. <laughs> that had never even occurred to me. But that's what it means for something to be holy, to be set apart, to be different unto the Lord. Well, we would take all our resources and put it towards that thing. And the way he said it wasn't like, I mean, he wasn't, he said it like, duh. Like, well, yeah, of course we did that. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course, yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> no brainer. Kevin DeYoung, another commentator, this is what his Sabbath looked like even during an extremely busy season. When I was in college and seminary, this is what DeYoung has to say. When I was in college and seminary, I made what was a bold decision at the time and committed along with a friend that we would not do homework on Sundays. No reading assignments, no papers, no studying for tests. It meant rethinking my Saturdays, which meant being more thoughtful about my Friday evenings. I couldn't sleep until noon on Saturday, watch football, hang out with my friends all day, and go out to a social event at night, then play catch-up on Sunday. I had to make pretty drastic changes, but I never regretted the commitment. Setting aside Sunday was a habit that served me well all throughout my studies. Sunday became my favorite day of the week. I was freed up to go to church more than once. I could go on a long walk or read a book or take a nap. The day became an island of get-to in an ocean of have-to. Here's a question. When was the last time you were on that island? Like I said, if we don't make rest intentional, if you're not intentional about setting aside holy time that doesn't get touched for rest, you'll never get to it. You gotta work to rest. You're gonna have to work. You're gonna have to make drastic changes to do it. Otherwise, like I said, we are rudderless ships just being thrown about an ocean of have to. When was the last time we actually sat there and rested? We actually sat there and landed, even by mistake, on the island of Gitu and just went, that's good, that's enough for now. I'm putting work down. I'm going to just rest. I'm going to put some of these things aside. I'm gonna to submit to you kind of a two-part plan that I think could help a lot of us. I think every day we should be taking time to pause, just like God did when he created. He creates, we subcreate. In the midst of your subcreation, here in the creation itself, we've gotta stop just like God did. We gotta put it down and say, that's good, that's enough for now. Otherwise, you're never gonna be able to fully hit the brakes and stop on a Sunday or a Friday or a Saturday, whatever day is your Sabbath day. If you're not slowing down throughout the week, don't be shocked when all of a sudden you try to hit the brakes on the weekend and you go power sliding straight through into your next week. Whoops, that didn't work. That makes 365 weeks in a row. We've just missed it. Years and decades go by, we've just missed it. There's 52 weeks in a year. Are you power sliding through every one of them? There goes another year, the kids are a year older. Looks like we missed it. I'll do better this next year, we'll spend more time. I don't want us to fulfill that definition. I don't want us to be too alive to die and too dead to live. 
Here's an example. Uh, myself, I get to these really tough spots in my life and my ministry. Uh, the, the staff teases me about it, actually, quite often. Um, a lot of my days, particularly my Monday through Wednesday, are, are pretty tight, and so I'll sit there, and it's not uncommon, 6.30 or 7 o'clock in the morning, I'll meet somebody for breakfast, because it's on my calendar, do that, and then by the time I hit the office, I am just bell to bell. They will stack up sometimes to each other straight through until the end of the day. The staff always teasing me, you're always walking somebody into your office or walking somebody out. Yeah, that's, that's my reality sometimes. What I've noticed that when I do that, when I come home, I have slowly let my energy level and my internal RPM just click, 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 click. I haven't stopped, I haven't paused, I haven't slowed down, I haven't given anything back to the Lord. I am carrying 10 meetings with me on my shoulders. I walk into my house and I am a mess. I'm at full tilt and so I walk in, I'm like, hey, how's it going? Hey, Jamie, how was your day? Good, great. Marley, how was your day? Good, McCoy, your day? Hey, Jamie, how was your day? Russ, you already asked me how my day was. Yeah, no, I was just checking with you. All right, what are we doing here? We got flag football, we got gymnastics. Who are we having over for dinner? What's going on here? And she'll look at me and she'll go, hey, babe, how are you doing? I'm fine, why? You're just like, got it. Yeah, no, you seem great. <laughs> and what'll happen is this. I show up, I'm at an 11, and all of a sudden, I, I, I just, I start to agitate the family. I start to slowly agitate the family, okay? Here's a statement. Uh, men, God has called you to lead your household. Don't lead them to an agitated place. I do this all the time. I come home and I slowly start agitating the family up until they're at my level and I'm like, there, now I feel comfortable. <laughs> now that we're all screwed up, let's have a night. <laughs> Better solution, come down, Russ. John Eldridge has written a really great book. We have them available in the bookstore. It's called Get Your Life Back. I'm always happy. I do this all the time. I recommend resources because when something has had a great impact on my life, I wanna give it away. I want other people to know about it. This is not required reading. It's an option. If this is an area where you're struggling, here's a resource. Uh, he's also developed an app, and the app has been incredibly helpful. You don't have to download it now, but you can do it after the service. I think we have it available on the QR code if you wanna do that deal on your armrest or uh, on the seat back at any one of the campuses. It's so good. It's called the One Minute Pause. And what Eldritch has done is he's basically taken great scriptural statements and his incredibly poetic voice and put together one, three, five, and 10 minute pauses. I've spent over an hour and a half on this app. What it's teaching me to do is to give everything and everyone back to God. When was the last time you did that in your workday? Hey, I got a 10 minute break. Do I take just one of these minutes and go, I can't carry all this. If you haven't done that in a long time, you're carrying whatever the collection is of your days, your weeks, your months, and your years on your back, and you're still trying to juggle them all together. You were never meant to do this. That's where the Lord comes in. I, I, I got permission, and we checked on it. Uh, I got permission to do a one-minute pause together as a church, all right? And we're gonna do that uh, right now. But what I want you to do is whether you'd close your eyes, I close my eyes when I do these sometimes, the longer ones, sometimes I'll do them when I drive, uh, just to like, not with my eyes closed. <laughs> That's why they put those bumps on the road. You can kinda just, you know, it's not what I mean. I keep my eyes open. What I mean is, it's an opportunity to just, instead of listening to music or do other things, it's just, that's true, I need that. 
And what I'd encourage is, whether it's at the end of your day, before you walk into your house, dads, husbands, it's a great thing to do in the driveway before you walk in. Give your day back to the Lord. Say, that's good, that's enough for now. Trust the Lord enough, whatever you're doing, trust the Lord enough to put your work in his hands, knowing he'll take good care of it until you pick it up again tomorrow. This right here is a fantastic practice to get into at the end of our work days. So let's do that now together. Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. I give everyone and everything to you, God. I give myself to you, Jesus, for union with you. I am created for union with you, God. I give everything in me for union with you, Lord. I need more of you, God. Fill me with more of you. That's good. That's enough for now. That's good. That's enough for now. What if you ended your days like that? Running a company or a household, moms, when was the last time you just put it down at the end of the day? When that last kid gets into bed and in Jesus' name stays in bed? It was the last time before you got into anything else, before you jumped on Instagram, before you jumped on Facebook, I just need to relax. What if we went to the Lord first? Lord, that's good. That's enough for now. I give everyone and everything back to you with your employees, with your kids, with your job, with your work, with your stress. That's good. That's enough for now. Trust the Lord to take care of it until we have to pick it up again tomorrow. We have, to, we have to pause during the week. We have to rest once a week. Some of you are panicking. It's okay. I know, I can feel it from here. The perfectionists in the room are sitting back just going, oh man, I am so busy trying to do everything perfect and now this guy just screwed it up because now my resting's terrible. What am I gonna do now? <laughs> Listen, I want you, I'm gonna read something over you to close the service. I want you to imagine that this was written to just people who struggle with rest. Spiritual people who are trying to do better, they struggle with rest. Many of us exclaimed, what an order. I can't go through with it. Do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We are not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we have set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. That is uh, my favorite paragraph out of page 60 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're addicted to doing. What I want to encourage you with is that you don't have to walk out of here today and have a perfect Sabbath practice. What I want to encourage you is that what God's calling you to is something you need and you're not going to figure it out today. Maybe you just start and over the next couple of weeks you start pausing 
You start letting it lead to an intentional half day, quarter day. I got two hours on a day where I start giving myself back to the Lord and let the practice expand. Be willing to grow along spiritual guidelines. Be willing to adhere to spiritual principles. Discipline yourself as crazy and just polarizing in a juxtaposition as this may sound. Work towards rest. Be able to give yourself some time where the Lord restores your soul, where you give it all back to him. But claim spiritual progress in this area. Celebrate wins rather than going after spiritual perfection. Remember the great thing about our Savior is he was perfect so we didn't have to be. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, what we recognize today is that this is an area we are in desperate need of. We are in need of putting down our addiction to doing and to find our way back to that simple place where we put everything else down. We say, that's good, that's enough for now, and we just be with you. Lord, my prayer is that you would be with all of us as we continue to walk through these weeks and months to come. We thank you for not asking us to do this, but commanding it of us because you knew we needed it. So Lord, we put ourselves in your hands as we walk away today. We pray this in your name, amen.